So we are going to transition a little. <laughs> we usually conclude our worship time by bringing our tithes and offerings to the Lord. And uh, in a moment, I'm going to pass the baskets. Um, but uh, I know that many of us also give with the app, um, and that's great too. But whenever we give, whether you've given on your regular routine or <laughs> whether you're just receiving from the Holy Spirit right now, feel free to do that. But if you're able, let's, <laughs> let's make our financial declaration together. We do this most weeks because it's important we get our hearts and our minds straight with God's plan and God's economy, right? So let's say this together, those who are able. Father, you have purposed to make all grace abound to us so that we always have all sufficiency in all things. I agree with your purposes and willingly submit to your invitation to align my finances with your plans. My financial giving will start with returning the tithe to the storehouse where you have placed me and where you feed me. In addition, I choose to be generous and give to meet the needs of others here, to sow bountifully, trusting that you will see to it that I reap bountifully. As I sow into the family you're building, with money, time, and energy, I ask you to strengthen the wall of love around us and lead us as we gather others who are seeking the values you have entrusted to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, we'll go ahead and pass the baskets. If you're giving cash and you need a receipt, thank you, Robert. Uh, then please take an envelope there on the tables and in the baskets. And uh, if you're giving by check, you don't need to use an envelope unless you'd like to. And thank you to those who give using the app as well. And uh, uh, if you're not using the app yet, uh, you can text a dollar amount to 84321. And the clever technical system, which I don't claim to understand, but it works, <laughs> will lead you through how to uh, how to get set up very simply to do that and uh, that's a great way to give so thank you for your giving it's uh, definitely uh, appreciated and uh, we're going to continue to pass the baskets around there uh, for everyone to participate now some of you know our story my story some of you don't, but I wanted just to sort of zero in on a snippet of it this morning because it falls into our theme for the beginning of this new year of there is more. And as I look back over my own life, and I guess it's our life, but it, I, I want to focus on me for the purposes of this morning. That journey into more really began at a point of great emptiness and a gr point of great need. And... Um, so uh, we were serving in a Christian conference center in the UK, and I had no revelation of how much God loved me. I was in it for what I could get out of it. I was in it for what I could put into it, thinking that that would earn something from God. And it really was pretty hard. In fact, as I look back over it, I'm pretty certain that that combined with three birthing experiences was what led my wife to be in depression. Um, so, you know, some of it was postnatal, but a lot of it was me. 
and uh, um, God saw to it that he didn't leave us there. But how he took us out of there was he squeezed us out. Huh? So I know some of us are going through tough times right now, but I'm telling you this because I'm standing here as testimony that when God puts you through a hard time, he brings you into a good time. Yeah? And I want to unpack a little of what I learned through that journey. And I hope it'll be helpful. Well, I know it will be helpful to all of us. <laughs> because what I want to talk about is something pretty much universal uh, in the body of Christ. And that's the whole idea of whether I'm an orphan or a child. Am I, an, am I a spiritual orphan? Or am I walking in the revelation that I am a child of God? Because here's what I want you to see. The orphan spirit wants you to have an orphan heart. I'll explain what I mean in just a second. But the orphan spirit wants you to have an orphan heart, while your heavenly father wants you to have a heart that's overflowing with agape love. Agape, of course, is the Greek word for God's love, unconditional love, the love that depends on the giver and not on me. Just letting that silence settle in for a second. Agape love depends on the giver and not on me. Very important that my heart gets that. Father God wants you and me to have a heart that's overflowing with agape love. Whereas the orphan spirit, get my things to work here, the orphan spirit wants you to have an orphan heart. He wants to disqualify you from God's love. And uh, the, re the reason I call our enemy the orphan spirit is based in Isaiah 14. Some of you know that passage. It's all about where Satan, who was the worship leader in heaven, decided he was all about his own thing. And he tried to climb his way up to earn something and grasp something that wasn't his to grasp. He said, I will do this and I will do that and I will make myself like God. And that was when he was cast out. And uh, that orphan spirit, the original spiritual orphan, I don't want Father God to be father over me. I want to do it my own way, was then passed on as the orphan heart to us in a garden when our forebears, Adam and Eve, took fruit from the wrong tree. God had given them all of these trees and all of this beautiful garden. And he said, there's just one to not eat from. This is Genesis 3, of course. Only one to not eat from. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree that says, I want to be able to know what's right and what's wrong. The tree that says, I want to know what's good and what's bad. I want to know how to make things work out the way I want them to work out. I want to take control into my own hand. I want to pick that fruit. And it was that emptiness of wanting to do things my own way rather than receiving all that my Father has for me. That emptiness is the challenge that we all face because that's what makes all of us into spiritual orphans. We live left to ourselves, we live as if we have no Heavenly Father. And God is opposed to that heart. 
And when we say there is more, one of the key areas where there is more is there is more revelation and more impartation to displace that orphan heart. And that's why I wanted to focus on it early in the new year together. Because when I'm an orphan, I'm living as if I've got no father. I'm living as if I've got to look after myself. That was the way I was in the conference center. I knew what I needed to do. I knew what I wanted to do. In fact, I was waiting for my boss to retire so I could take over. Because if I'm in charge, then obviously I'm more spiritual, right? <laughs> but when it all rests on you, then you're living as if there are no guarantees. And that's not a comfortable place to live. But when we're honest, all of us live there to some degree all the time. <laughs> and do you know what? It's Father God's plan to bring us out of that. And we're going to unpack how he does that. Before we unpack how he does that, though, let's look at some of the symptoms of the orphan heart. Okay. And let me say, first off, that a lot of this comes out of my own experience. And if this happens to touch a nerve in you, it's not because I'm getting at you. It's because God's getting at you. Deal? Okay. <laughs> if you want to storm out in anger, you can, but that will simply confirm to us that you're having a heart attack. <laughs> you see, the orphan heart can be as simple as being self-focused or independent or driven. It can be as simple as that. And most of us know people who exhibit some of those traits, at least from time to time. The problem with being driven is that driven people drive people. In fact, driven people drive people insane. <laughs> it's not a pretty picture, is it? So it could be simple like that, or it could be much more complex where you've got a lot of fear blended in with a lot of shame that then expresses itself in needing to control everything so that I'm not threatened by circumstances or people. And you get this toxic blend of shame and fear and control all operating and you begin to wonder how am I going to disentangle any of this and the temptation is to go, oh I can't, I'm just going to have to live like this for the rest of forever. And that's a lie. Because actually the answer is quite simple. We need to begin to untangle some of that stuff. God doesn't want us to have fear. You know, there's a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear, the Bible tells us. And God doesn't want us to be slaves. That's the whole story of the Exodus and that's the whole story of the cross. Deliverance comes when love displaces fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Many of us battle shame. We were talking before we started the meeting this morning about different ones who've kind of drawn back from our family out of shame. And it's terrible when that happens, but we recognize that it's often part of the journey that we have to take to find our way back to the Father. You see, shame steals my identity and shame steals my, my, my potential and my destiny. And I feel like I'm powerless to change what's wrong with me. That I'm wrong and I can't change it. And that's what shame 
sounds like and it's what shame smells like. And it's not a pretty smell, but many of us are familiar with it. And often when we experience shame, we step across the line then into control, which of course is the original spiritual orphan's <laughs> mistake, um, or sin, let's call it what it is, where I want to control others to stay safe, or I want to control myself to stay safe. But actually you and I, if you've been alive for more than a, a month or three, which almost all of us have, Caleb accepted, <laughs> you realize that you can't control even yourself to stay safe. <laughs> Life doesn't work that way, does it? Something comes along that gets you out of control, and if you're not careful, you become a control freak. But all that we could say about control freaks is that they have their control under control. And that's not a pretty picture either. Because what I'm doing is making other people give me what I want them to give me. And, and I don't even get what I need. I only get what I want. And that doesn't work in the long term at all. So as I say, the symptoms can be simple or the symptoms can be complex. But they're symptoms of the same heart attack of the orphan heart. And sometimes the symptoms are intense. So the orphan heart can be expressed in anger. Or it could be expressed in rebellion or, or slander or, or addiction. So many folks with an orphan heart struggle with some form of addiction, whether it's to Amazon or whether it's to drugs or whether it's to alcohol or whether it's to television or, or whether it's to sex or whether it's to ice cream. You know, there's all different kinds of addictions, but whatever I take to numb my pain, I'm addicted to. So it can be very intense, or it can sometimes be more of a sort of persistent, ingrained kind of trait that you think is just part of how you're wired until you get a revelation of God didn't intend you to be this way. Those more persistent traits would be things like loneliness or hopelessness or low self-esteem. Sometimes it's more of a, a, an insecurity or a sadness or a sense of rejection. All of those things track back to one place, living as if I don't have a home in Father God. It's the orphan heart. Let me mention one other thing that can sometimes come out is a sense of insecurity. If you think of what a, a, a literal orphan is like, they can't trust anyone because they have no one to trust. But we see that in ourselves in a spiritual way, don't we? Where we live with insecurity uh, or we live with hypersensitivity or mistrust of one another. Where everything is analyzed through this lens of, are you against me? And the slightest hint of anyone being against me and I shut down, I close off, I pull away. Remember, I'm talking about myself, and if any of this is pushing your buttons, then it's God, not me. But I've lived all of those things at different points through my journey. And I'm so glad that the orphan was challenged in my life. That's why I love to challenge the orphan in others. 
Because if the orphan goes unchallenged, then I start to reinvent history. I start to be selective with my memories, and all I fasten in on is all the stuff about poor me and all the things that other people did against me and all of what's wrong with you and what's right with me or what's wrong with me that's uh, right with everyone else. And everything becomes kind of disconnected. If I'm filtering my history through that filter of pain and the lies that the orphan spirit tells me, then I'm going to be in trouble. I can find a poverty mentality growing even when I'm in a place of plenty. I can find it very hard to be interdependent, to open up with other people, to be transparent. And I find it very hard to submit to authority because I start to see authority as, as this uh, limitation or the, or the source of approval even. And I can't admit my need and I can't ask for help. And I end up isolated, which is exactly where the enemy wants to put me. The common thread with all of these symptoms, and I'm going to get to some positive in just a moment here, <laughs> just in case you're feeling depressed already. The common thread with all of those things, I would say, is striving. And I'm defining striving as three things twisted together. It's a looking after me. It's competing with you. And... I lost my third point. I know. It's looking after me, it's competing with you, and it's hiding the truth from all of us. It's looking after me, it's competing with you, and it's hiding behind a veneer. Too often, and this happens most often in church, sadly, the answer to how are you is, I'm fine. Fine is a Christian four-letter F word. Fine is a Christian four-letter F word. We hide behind it. And the cause is that the orphan heart living as if I have no experience of belonging in unconditional love and I think I said this earlier but you only really find out what you're full of when you're squeezed which is what happened to me in the conference center I got squeezed and I found out what I was full of and it wasn't pretty but once you found out what you're full of it won't go back in the tube It's out for everyone to see. Usually, the point of being squeezed, and again, this is from my experience, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody else in the room, only at myself, but you find out what you're full of when you disagree with a decision that's been made by the one that God has given you to submit to. It's relationships that reveal my orphan heart. It's why God wants us to live in relationship. Because God is devoted to you not having an orphan heart. That's what we said at the beginning. The orphan spirit wants you to live with an orphan heart, but your heavenly father 
wants you to live with a heart that's overflowing with agape love. So it's interactions and reactions that will reveal the orphan heart. I'm going to ask Ira, could you pass those around for me, please? I'm going to do a quick fill-in-the-blanks kind of process here just to give you something that will help you to see and diagnose how much orphan is still in there. Because could I have a show of hands? How many people in this room are breathing? Now keep your hands up. How many people in this room still struggle with the orphan heart? Good. Yes. Okay. Just so we're clear, okay, this is not about you getting rid of this forever and now you're perfect and the rest of us can all be envious. <laughs> it's about how can we help each other? I don't want the orphan heart to take root in me again. I'm very thankful that I'm surrounded by people who will point out when I slip back into orphan ways. <laughs> That's why she's called a helpmate or a helpmeet because I meet her and she helps me to see that maybe I'm not as spiritual as I look. But you know what? My daddy knows all about that and he's completely committed to making a difference. Okay, so on your chart, we've got two columns. One for when I'm living like an orphan and one when I'm living like a child or a son and daughter. And let's look down and begin to fill in some of these. When I'm living like an orphan, see if I can do this right. God is my master. Almighty God. He is almighty. But if I only see him as my master, then I recognize that that love that he has for me is conditional love. It's conditional on me dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's, walking a straight path. And if you step off the path, <gasps> that God is distant. That God is a legalist who must be obeyed. That God is easily displeased. But when I'm living like a son or a daughter, God is my loving father. He's full of unconditional love. Love that doesn't depend on how I behave today or tomorrow or last week or 20 years ago or whatever. He doesn't hold against me the things I did wrong back in my youth, nor the things I did wrong on my way to church this morning. He's full of unconditional love. Now I have to receive it. <laughs> There's a condition. If I won't take it, then I don't get it. But that's the only limitation. God is not limiting his love toward us in any way. He's close. He's intimate. He's nurturing. He's accepting. He's forgiving. So God is a father when I'm living as a son or daughter. Now let's talk about me for a moment. If I'm living as an orphan, we covered a lot of this already, but I'm going to be self-reliant and independent. I'm likely to be insecure, striving for acceptance, 
striving for approval, striving for praise, trying to do something for someone to notice me. Focused on performance. Or I may be in bondage, I may be defensive, I may be trying to hide the truth about myself so you don't find out how awful I really am. Or I may be oversensitive and guarded, trying to protect the veneer <laughs> of being spiritual when I don't really believe it on the inside. That's a spiritual orphan. But if I'm living as a child, jumped ahead one too many there, if I'm living as a child, then I'm willing to be interdependent. I'm welcoming uh, relationships with others because this is a family. I'm going to be at rest. Uh, I love how Roger and Laura bring Caleb in. And there he is. He's just, he's, he's chill. He's happy. Because he hasn't discovered how not to be a child yet. <laughs> right? I mean, it's beautiful. Whether dad's holding him or mum's holding him, he's fine, he's happy. All he has to do is sort of, you know, squeak a little bit and everything shifts so that he's taken care of. Well, I want you to understand that God holds you and me in the same way. Now, he doesn't want us to stay as little babies. <laughs> he wants us to grow up. The goal is to become mature adults. But if we start out recognizing this is where we began, this is his heart towards us, we're accepted by God. We're allowed to enjoy his grace. You know what grace is? It's a free gift I didn't deserve. <laughs> so even when I don't deserve it, I can still receive it. Did you catch that? Because we're all aware of when we don't deserve it, but we can still receive it because it's grace. It depends on Jesus, not on me. When I'm living as a, as a child, I'm thankful I remember very clearly years ago, somebody advised me, whenever you're struggling, be thankful. Thank you for my helpmeet. Thank you for challenges. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for being there. Thank you for meeting me even when I feel distant. Thank you when I turn my heart toward you, you run to meet me. Thank you for Jesus. I'm free, I'm secure, I, I'm able to seek input. I can be transparent, I can be real. Not trying to be anything other than who I am. That's what it means to be a son or a daughter. You belong. You cannot stop being the son or daughter that you are your earthly family. Now that may be filled with all kinds of pain and strain for many of us because earthly families are not perfect. But it's just as true with your heavenly father. You cannot stop being his daughter, his son. So let's take it one more step and look at our relationships. If I'm an orphan, my relationships are comparative. What does that look like? Well, I scan around the room and I decide who looks spiritual today and who doesn't. 
Yeah, flaky. There you go. I'm, I'm, I can easily be flaky. Thank you for admonishing me. <laughs> you weren't, but yeah. <laughs> you know, when you look around the room and decide who's spiritual and who's not, you, you, you lose both ways, don't you? Because either I'm spiritual and you all are not, well, now I've got pride. Or, you know, I could never be as spiritual as Cynthia, who happens to have the disadvantage of sitting right in front of me. But, <laughs> you know, she's just so holy. And now I've got shame and insecurity and in inadequacy. And uh, it God didn't make it that way. Actually, we're wearing the same shirt. <laughs> just noticed. <laughs> You see, if, if my relationships are comparative, I'm always going to lose out. Always. Comparison is always a trap. The enemy's elbowing you. Hey, look at so-and-so. Either you're better than them or you're worse than them, and either way he's got you. Because it's a lie. God created you to be you. So relationships that are conditional are often based on performance. They're easily hurt. They can be jealous of success. There's a hierarchy in relationships when I compare myself with others. and Then I'm tempted to hide my true self. God doesn't want that either. I might find fault with you or with me. I might be pushing my own agenda and need to be right or show love conditionally. Oh, well, I'll love you if you'll do what I want you to. But as soon as you step out of line, uh, no, I'm going to withhold that love now. Or it may be that my relationships are based on I want to appear to be more mature than you or even more mature than I am because that's fairly easy <laughs> to... But relationships that are comparative are not what God designed. God designed us to be sons and daughters, where our relationships, rather than being comparative, are community. And in community, then what's going on is that we're valuing others, we're rejoicing in others' success, where others have breakthroughs or growth or whatever, we rejoice with that. And when we come across a fault, we cover that fault with love. And the Bible tells us love covers multitude of sin. Doesn't mean we don't admit it, and we don't recognize it, but it means we cover it with love. So when I come in here and I'm frowning and pouting and you know getting all cross about something, you cover that with love. So that then I have permission to step out of that into the place of being a son again. And I trust I do the same with you. My desire is always to represent God's love to whoever I'm interacting with. I know it's the same for all of you. But that's what community looks like, isn't it? That's why we, we dwell so strongly on community here in Catch the Fire. Because it's Father God's gift to us to displace the orphan heart. There's acceptance, there's patience, there's seeking the best for others, there's humility, there's forgiveness. 
Let's just put a couple more things into our chart. We're serving is something that we know all Christians should do. We're called to serve, right? But the problem with being an orphan heart is that serving is a duty. So I have to do it. So I typically do it with a sense of... <sighs> I show up to do my duty, whatever it may be. You know, oh, I'm on the worship team this week. Got to get there early again. <sighs> And if I'm not careful, and again, please, I'm not speaking about anybody but me, but when I show up again and again and again to serve, I develop this attitude of, well, nobody really notices anything I do around here. And I become all bitter and twisted. It's not good, is it? Or serving is a means of proving myself. That's the other trap I've fallen into in the past. I don't know if that fits any of you. I trust it doesn't. But, you know, look at me. I'm so spiritual. I'm on, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm on, well, let's carry on with the worship team. I'm on the worship team every week. Well, if you've been around here any length of time, you know we don't like anybody to be on anything constantly so that we can help you guard against that. Oh, I get my value from what I do. You know, you're not a human doing. You're a human being. We want you to be as well as do. We don't want you to do all the time because do, do, do is do, do. You get the same jokes every week around here. It's you know. <laughs> Because there's truth and I need to keep reminding myself. All right. So we don't want serving to be duty. We want serving to be joy. Because when you get a revelation of how loved you are, you can't help giving it away. Right? When you know how loved you are, you want to love others. You had a wonderful outreach at the school before Christmas. Of course, we kind of goofed it up by putting it on Christmas Eve when virtually nobody could come. But the ones who did come had a great time. <laughs> And God looked after all of it, and we've learned lots of lessons from it, but it was wonderful to know that here is an opportunity to give love. We didn't want anything from the families we were serving. We wanted to give them food that we hadn't even cooked ourselves. Someone else had given it to us. They showed up, you know, um, and the clothes we were giving away, we hadn't paid for those. They were given to us, uh, and the love we were showing was just coming out of being loved. That's the kind of serve. You know, we could have been there. Oh well, you know, nobody showed up. And, you know, we could be all cross with the school, you know, or whatever. But there was none of that, because it's just that joy of knowing how loved we are, and we love to give it away to other people. It's beautiful. So, talking about outreach, let's look at outreach. The problem with outreach as an orphan, and uh, see if you've done this. I know I have. I trained for ministry in a church in London that did outreach as orphans. We were out on the street all the time, making a noise and handing out flyers and inviting people to things, and it was all about results because we were trying to prove something by what we did. So it was doo-doo. Hmm? Okay, yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, why, let's let's make Mark be even more transparent. Why not? There was one. Was it Easter? Or it was I can't remember when it was, but we went out to invite people to to a, an outreach we were doing, and I'm knocking on doors in our neighbourhood, and uh, and I knock on the door and say, "I'm from Gateway Christian Fellowship," and the voice inside the door said, "No," because <laughs> they didn't want to be have something pushed at them thank you very much but I said well yes I am I was there just now because this is Sunday afternoon I was there this morning I am from Gateway Christian Fellowship <laughs> they still said no and they still didn't open the door and I don't blame them actually because I was looking for results I was doing it with a good heart but i doing it with the wrong method and the wrong motive so uh, whereas outreach as a son or daughter is cooperation with the father it's what Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. That's why the outreach at, at the school was so beautiful, is because Father pulled it all together. <laughs> we hadn't planned any of that. It all kind of landed in our laps. <laughs> it's like, okay, Daddy seems to be up to something here. We want to join in. And it was full of joy. And so demonstrating the Father's love to others and cooperating with the Father is what outreach is supposed to be. Let's see if we can rattle a few more cages with this one when i am living as an orphan church is where orphans prove themselves to god and to each other church is where orphans prove themselves to god and to each other been there done that i apologize i repent here's what it should be Church is a spiritual family that God has placed me into for my growth as I receive and give. Church is a spiritual family God has placed me into for my growth as I receive and give. Let's talk about authority for a moment, because again, this is an area that for me was very revealing in terms of the orphan heart. And it's something I feel like God has grown in me as I've discovered how to be a spiritual son. You see, if I'm living as an orphan, then authority is either threatening or desirable. Remember in the conference center, what I was looking for was to be in charge. I was seeking authority but what I discovered was authority was threatening I had all kinds of conflict with my boss because of my own heart you know he basically replaced me without firing me because this was in the UK it wasn't a right to work state like we have here where you could be fired for no reason he couldn't fire me. There were rules and regulations that prevented him doing that. But what he did was he hired somebody else to do 99% of my job. That'll show you what you're full of pretty quickly. And I had to train him. Hmm. I'm very thankful that, that started my journey of valuing authority. Because I didn't have an answer to that. But God had put people in our lives who we saw as authority figures. People we could trust. People who wanted the best for us. People who wanted God's best for us. People who would tell us the truth in love. Remember that verse about speaking the truth in love? 
build one another up. Well, that's what we did. We went to our friends Roger and Sue. He happened to be on the board of trustees of the conference centre. But I wasn't going to him because he had the power to discipline my boss. I was going to him because I knew he and his wife wanted the best for us and would give us the truth. And we said, we need to talk to you because we're having s conflict with the boss. He said, yeah, I know. <laughs> he's been talking to me about the trouble he's been having with you for the last year. Oh. Sometimes rooting out the orphan heart can be scary. Sometimes it can be painful, but I'm very grateful for it. Because he was able to give us good advice about potentially moving on from something that we thought was God's plan for the rest of our lives. He's like, I know you came here with a lifetime commitment, but maybe God's telling you that you don't really fit and you need to move on. Oh, and by the way, there are major international ministries asking for you. <laughs> now, my orphan heart went, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> but that's how we went to Toronto. That's how we landed in the Father Loves You conference, where a revelation of unconditional love kicked my orphan where it hurt, so he ran away and didn't come back. Because... God sees to it that when we're squeezed and what comes out isn't pretty, the clean-up process brings us into a deeper revelation of the heart of sonship. See, the truth is that authority is a source of maturity through submission. When, I, when Jane and I went to our friends Roger and Sue and submitted to them, that brought us a step closer to maturity. When we moved then to Toronto, we submitted fully to John and Carol, who were our leaders then in that setting. We did it willingly, and with, thankfully with them it was easy to do because they're so wonderful. And let me complete the circle here, lest you think I left sort of collateral damage behind me. We fully reconciled with Brian and Susan, the authorities at the conference center, and uh, uh, we have a beautiful relationship with them. Uh, now, <laughs> even though we didn't at the time. And, and I'm thankful to God for that because they would be easy to submit to again if God ever led us in that direction. Which They're not in leadership there anyway, now they're retired. But God can only bring healing and restoration when we embrace the journey out of orphan and into son and daughter. And that's my purpose in sharing this with you. Because you and I have a destiny. But if I'm an orphan, my destiny is to fight for. I've got to do it myself. I will make myself like God wants me to be. Isaiah 14. Not a recommended pathway. Or my destiny is lost forever. You know, I'll never be what God wants me to be because of this and this and this and this and that. Well, both of those are lies from the orphan spirit who wants you to have an orphan heart. The truth is my destiny is a gift from God for me to rest in. It's Father God's purpose for me 
and I step into it through the good times and the hard times by resting in being his child. I'm thinking of another time in our lives where we were struggling, having a rough time, feeling like everything, well, <laughs> the lovely lady that God gave to me to point out my orphan heart would wake me up in the middle of the night saying, are you sure we're supposed to still be here? Are you sure God hasn't said anything? It was about two o'clock in the morning and she said to me, well, what's God saying to you? I don't know. I was asleep 30 seconds ago. <laughs> but I asked him, Father, what are you saying? And he simply said, well done, son. In the midst of a really, really tough season, he just said, well done, son. And that set my heart at rest. And once my heart got into rest, God changed the season just a few months later. And then Catch the Fire Myrtle Beach was born. So, when we run into rubbing up against one another, I want to assure you there's a long history of practice in this, and we want the best for you. You see, relationships reveal my orphan heart, but relationships are used by God to fill my orphan heart with love. Your orphan spirit wants you to have an orphan heart, but your heavenly Father wants you to have a heart overflowing with agape love. Go back one. Didn't really want to focus on him, but there we go. You want uh, back one more. Relationships reveal my orphan heart, but relationships are used by God to fill my orphan heart with love. It's my premise that the most significant verse in the whole of this library of books is John chapter 14, verse 18. John 14, 18, where Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. That's why I've given you the chart. Because whenever you feel yourself sliding into the center column again, <laughs> you can look to the right and let him come to you. He says, I won't leave you in the middle column. I'll come to you. And not only will I come to you, but I'll put you in a place where other people are around you who understand and know and care, who love. And I would say it's statistically impossible for every one of us in this room to all slide into the center column simultaneously. Therefore, there's going to be somebody somewhere in our church family who can speak the truth to me when I'm being an orphan. 
Halleluja. <laughs> There are two sons in the story that Jesus told. It's my favorite story that Jesus told, and you know that well. There's the son who wanted to be an orphan. Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my share of the inheritance. Then there was the son who, <laughs> how can I put this politely, um, lived as an orphan but pretended not to be. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm standing up here, I struggle not to say words I'm not supposed to say in church. But anyway. I've been both of those sons in my life. I've wanted to go off and do my own thing and I've pretended to have it all together when I haven't. But the Father loves both. So wherever you find yourself this morning or tomorrow morning or next week or last month or whatever painful moment in the past is coming to mind right now, Father loves you right there. He doesn't want you to be a slave to sin. That's what happens when you choose to be an orphan. But he doesn't want you to be a slave to law either. And that's what happens when you try to pretend to be okay when you're not. He wants you to be a son or a daughter. And what I've learned over this journey is that there are four things that we can do, four steps we can take, four principles that we can embrace. to live as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. The first is to return to Father. Every time I catch myself in something orphan-ish, just go back to Dad. Just like Jane had me do. What's, what's he saying to you? I don't know. What are you saying to me? Well done, son. And immediately my heart returned to Father. The external circumstances may not change, but everything changes when you return to Father. The second area is to resolve relationships. I've given you several examples in the stories I've been telling you, just where we need to take the steps necessary to express unconditional love and to ask for forgiveness where our orphan hearts have caused there to be strain in relationships. This isn't in my notes, but I just have a, a, a nudge. I'm very good at saying, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> When somebody catches me out in orphan heartedness, I'm sorry. That's a good start, but it's not the end. Would you please forgive me? Is very different from I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Okay, that's a free one. Resolve relationships, whatever it takes. Don't do it as an orphan activity. 
where you pull out your clipboard and you check off the boxes of, you know, who am I? No, do it in community. Do it like a son or a daughter. I love elementary school kids. Because when they do resolve relationships, it's beautiful. Oh, I'm sorry. So am I. And everything's okay again. <laughs> Somehow they haven't learned to hold grudges yet. <laughs> I love it. It's beautiful. So glad God's given us the elementary school to invest in. If he'd given us the high school, that would be a bigger stretch altogether. But <laughs> maybe he will. Who knows? There's more. Third thing is to restore authority. It's what Jane and I had to do when we went to Roger and Sue. Find somebody you trust who has experience and enough love for you to tell you the truth. It doesn't have to be the pastor. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Just find someone to tell you the truth because you're giving them authority in your life. Restore authority is a key part of stepping into sonship. That won't be a smooth journey. <laughs> I don't have time to tell you all the stories with John and Carol as we were learning to live under authority. But basically, whatever John asked of me, I said yes and figured out later what I'd got myself into. And there were times where I wanted to turn around and tell him no. <laughs> especially when I thought about what I'd said yes to. Yeah. I, I won't tell the whole story, but yes, very very briefly, John said to me, Will you, would you like to come to Japan with us? The person who was coming has had to drop out. So I checked with Jane. She said, yeah, great opportunity. Go for it. <laughs> so I said, yeah, okay, I'll come. I thought that meant I was going to help to carry the bags, maybe help to pray for people, maybe look after the book table or something. You know, I'm just going with John and Carol on this trip. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> on the Friday that I was leaving to lead an encounter weekend, which is a weekend of, of healing and heart stuff for, for people in the church, I'm going to be busy all weekend, get back late Sunday, and the flight leaves Monday morning. Friday morning, I go to see John's PA to get the details for Japan to get my ticket. It's back in the days of paper tickets. This is that long ago. She said, oh yeah, um, John and Carol are spending their mornings with God, so you're the main speaker in the conference on Wednesday. Um, and then when the conference finishes on Friday, John and Carol are going with Pastor Aki to his church. You're going to Pastor Wada's church. It's their church anniversary, and you're speaking on, uh, I forget now, I think it was Saturday afternoon and Saturday evening and Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon, four back-to-back -back sessions. And he's given you the topics he wants you to speak on. He wants you to speak on healing, deliverance, restoring your family, and taking your city. I'd been ordained about three weeks at this point, and prior to that, I'd been the manager of the bookstore and the cafe. <laughs> I wanted to say no to John, but it was too late. But I'm very thankful that I'd chosen to restore authority in my life. It was very life-giving. Again, we don't have time for the whole story, but it's a fun story I'll tell you sometime. That leads me very neatly to the final key, is to rest in love. 
When I'm an orphan, every time I'm an orphan, I struggle to rest in love. It's one of the biggest keys I know to diagnosing whether I'm in the middle column or the right-hand column. But it's also the most important solution to the problem, is to rest in love. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. 1 John 4 verse 16. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. You see, the orphan spirit wants you to have an orphan heart. But your heavenly Father wants you to have a heart that's overflowing with agape love. I love the Father Heart Schools that we host because it's so important to take that time to receive this. You can listen to this on a Sunday morning, but we're all going to go off for lunch in a minute, and then by tomorrow we'll have lost half of it. We'll put it on the website, assuming the recording worked this time. We'll put it on the website so you can listen again. But resting in love sometimes takes longer than an hour on a Sunday. That's why I love the Father Heart Schools. In fact, during the last Father Heart School, I found this in my notes as I was preparing. God spoke this to me. He said, I want you to value being over doing. I want you to value belonging over competing. I want you to value becoming over winning. I will say them again. I want you to value being over doing. want you to value belonging over competing. I want you to value becoming over winning. I want you to value becoming over winning. And actually, if I think about it, and that's our heart for all of you, for all of us, is that we embrace those things, that we return to Father, we resolve relationships, we restore authority, and we rest in love. And if you've not done an A school, I want to put every ounce of fatherly pressure on you that I carry, not to force you, but to say, I really, truly believe the very best for you would be to take a week and do that. So you can look on our website. In fact, I think I can do this. On the website, you click on calendar and events in the middle there. Somehow, there it is. And there it is on the events list. So you just tap on that there, and it gives you all the details. When you tap on the picture, it'll take you into the registration form for the A school. So right there on calendar events on the Catch the Fire website is the Myrtle Beach A school coming up next month starts on February 19th and I want to urge every one of you who hasn't done a school yet to be there. So go ahead and register. If money is an issue please tell us because we will find ways for money to not be an issue. It's that important. All right. Let's put down our pens. 
and close our eyes. And just take a moment or two to rest in his love before we're dismissed. Father, I know how easily I slip into that middle column and forget that I'm your son and start to live like an orphan again. But this morning again you've underlined for us just how clearly you are opposed to the enemy lying to us in that way. And so I choose to open my heart to you right now. In my head I know that I'm your child, but I would love you to show my heart more deeply that that's the truth. So would you come and reveal your fatherhood to me again now. And Father, when I live like an orphan, there are all kinds of consequences for my relationships. So I'm asking you, not just in this moment, but in the hours and days ahead, would you nudge me about relationships that need your resolution? Who do I need to ask for forgiveness? Who do I need to reach out to with unconditional love? Thank you for placing us in community where it's safe to be challenged about our orphan hearts. And Father, I pray that every one of us would become spiritual fathers and mothers, <coughs> that every one of us would grow in authority in this area, that we can be those who help others to step into the fullness of their sonship as a son or daughter of an, the Father in heaven. Let it grow, Father, in this family. That we wouldn't simply be a family with one father and mother, but that all of us would grow into spiritual fathers and mothers more than we have already that you would give us others to lead and parent and encourage and be community with. And so I bless you to rest in the Father's love for you. Not just now, but at every moment through this week when you recognize orphan sneaking back in. I bless you to rest and return to Father's love. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that that's your job.
Remind us of everything Jesus said, including, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. As we end, I want to challenge you to go to at least one person before you leave and be an expression of unconditional love to them in some way. It's practice for the real world out through that door. <laughs> but practice here and then carry on doing it throughout the week. God bless you. We'll see you back here next week.